Welcome back to another Cardinals off day podcast after ourselves taking an off day on the last off day. Uh, we are back. I am Ben Godar. Uh, with me, as always, is my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, I did not expect to be as relieved about Adam Wainwright winning his 199th game as I was like, I, it really felt like a weight had been lifted yeah. <laughs> from my shoulders. I was just like, Oh, thank goodness. Uh, he won 199. So now he's got a puncher's chance to, to 200. And uh, it, it kind of surprised me um, a little bit because I, I thought I had largely uh, relieved myself of any sort of a mistake in the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, but I just can't quit Adam Wainwright and his uh, quest for 200 pitching wins. And I think pitching wins are a garbage stat, and I don't care about them, which I, I don't know what all this says about me, but uh, here I am uh, in that uh, state, emotional state here today, feeling pretty good. Yeah, well, I'm with you, Ben, and we're going to talk a little more about Adam Wainwright, but I, I echo all of your emotions there, and I think – you know, on some level, it all harkens back to the, the the Seinfeld bit about we're just rooting for laundry, right? There is something fundamentally irrational about everything <laughs> that we're doing. Here. So this is maybe at the core of it. We're but, we're uh, grown. We're 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 adults rooting for laundry, right? Like yes. we aren't even kids who are just doing what our dads uh, did. We're you know we we are adults rooting for laundry, which somehow makes it a little bit weirder. Very true. Very true. So, um, so yeah, uh, well, Ben, uh, in addition to uh, learning that about ourselves, uh, anything else that you've, uh, you've learned in the, the last couple of weeks? Um, I have learned that no matter what Tommy Edmund does, the St. Louis media establishment will uh, be irrational in their assessment of him. And uh, the latest round of this is the whole Tommy Edmond. Is he the solution in our field next year? And, you know, is he an everyday center fielder? And, and the answer, of course, is no. Like, Tommy Edmond can't hit right-handed pitching very well. You know, he's, uh, he has a career 93 weighted runs created plus against righties. And uh, this year it's been a, a – a little bit worse than that last year it was a little bit better but he he's just not very good and so the idea that you should try to play him every day at any position and we've been through this twice before right we've been through it at second base where he he was with the shift anyway a very good defender this year he's not a good defender at second base by the metrics and then last year again with the shift he was a very good defender at shortstop and this year he's pretty good and last year everyone covered him like is he the solution at second at shortstop excuse me is he the greatest shortstop since ozzy smith is he one of the best defensive uh, shortstops in baseball and the answer of course was no because you know it's just a small sample size defensive metrics are volatile the number of chances you get on defense is far less than the number of chances you get at the bat so it goes up and down a little bit more and he's he's a pretty good shortstop He's a pretty good second baseman. And if I guess, he's probably a pretty good center fielder too because he's a pretty good right fielder and he has gotten less, less of an opportunity in left field. 
but he's he's pretty good there as as well. And so I I don't understand any of this because Edmund is the short side of a platoon if you want to pencil him in for a defined role. And we've been over this over and over again. He's the utility player. Yeah. You need to use him accordingly. He shouldn't yeah. be the everyday ev- anything. This year they've done a good job of limiting to an extent his at-bats against righties. Uh, and so the share of at-bats he has had against righties has gone down. The share of at-bats he's had against lefties, who he hits very well, has gone up. And he's still a below-average hitter overall. And so, uh, you know, he would have to be like Harrison Bader levels of elite to justify playing him every day in center field over someone like Lars Newtbar, who's a very good hitter and a pretty good center fielder and, you know, average-ish center fielder. Yeah, you know, in terms of the total package, and right. so, um, you know, I I feel like it's like a broken record, and we just keep harping on this, and especially me, but it's it's really like this this media driven like need to give Tommy Edmund an everyday job when his everyday job, the thing that he is best at, is being a utility player who doesn't have an everyday job. You right. know, he starts against lefties and then you you use him to give days off to other players when they need him when they need them and you try to maximize your advantage in those situations and so um i i feel like uh i'm taking crazy pills and it's like deja vu just with a tweak because i feel like we did this last year a shortstop and now we're doing it this year with center field and it's like no he's just a utility guy let him be a utility guy yeah. He's a good utility guy, and yeah. that's okay. He yeah. doesn't have to be an everyday player, and uh, it's it's just it's frustrating to see. And I know there's not much else to talk about with the team, but like still, but just yeah. accept him for who he is. Everyone will be better off. Right. No, and Ben, I'm going to go further than you. I'm going to say he's a great utility player. I think he might be the best utility player in the in the league, but he's still a utility player, and that's still the best way to use him. And what's crazy to me is, you know, as we've seen, as we're seeing, uh, you know, for most of this season, um, when when for the most part he has been used as a utility player, um, he's going to get his his plate appearances. You know, between uh, as, as you said, you know, platooning and taking advantage of, of his, uh, his, you know, the good side of his platoon and, and giving days off. And just the fact that, yeah, you're going to have injuries at all of these positions. And, and he, he's basically your second best option at most of these positions. So over the course of a season, he's going to be in the lineup the majority of the time. So you're still going to see plenty of, of Tommy Edmund. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy to me that the, just the rush to, to give him an everyday job it's because it's the same logic as what they've been doing for years at the back end of the rotation, right? Which is, uh, you know, finding spots for these guys that are, you know, these Dakota Hudson's and these guys that are in their system who just aren't good enough, right? And it's like, you know, you, you find somebody better, right? You know, get, get somebody better in there. It's okay to have some of these other guys as depth pieces. I mean, I'm not saying that's an exact comparison, but I'm 100% with you, Ben, on that. Um, we are the... Uh, we're the anti-Tommy Edmund podcast, but really we're just the please use Tommy Edmund as a utility player uh, podcast. Um, myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, but that's like the, the St. Louis media though, right? Like just saying that makes you anti-Tommy Edmund because everything else is so over the top. So uh, what, Ben, 
what have you learned uh, over the last uh, couple weeks? Well, I just actually, and I saw this on Twitter just uh, this this evening. It was very interesting, but it was a posted uh, uh, something from Reddit from a user named uh, Adam Scotted. I, I'm assuming that's not the uh, the famous actor Adam Scott, but I don't know that for a fact, so maybe it was. Um, but he posted uh, standings, major league standings, if uh, uh, one run games were reversed. So if every team's uh, record in one run games was reversed. And then uh, uh, would you believe that the Cardinals would be uh, 75 and 70, uh, two and a half games behind the Cubs for second place in the National League Central? Um, just, just from that alone. Uh, it, it, anyway, that's what Adam Scott had posted there. I'm not going to double check his work. I'm just going to assume that's true. So um, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Now, just just for context, um, you know, th this exercise, it didn't produce just totally um, bizarro town results. You know, you had the Braves still leading in the East. You had the Dodgers still leading in the West. So, um, you know, it was only kind of certain places where you saw these really remarkable changes in record. And, and the Cardinals were, were one of those. So what does that mean? Well, if I'm being fully honest, Ben, I think the main thing it means is is luck, right? I think basically your record in one run games is it's mostly luck, right? We don't see teams that, you know, over the span of like five or six years just are always bad in one run games are always good in one run games, right? So I'm going to be fair, it's mostly luck. But at the same time, I have to say, I don't think it speaks particularly well to Ali Marmol, because um, to the extent that you have any influence on it, I think it's largely your manager who uh, has the opportunity to you know, make certain decisions that you hope give you just that little bit of an edge in those one-run games. And it's that, that preparation, it's that kind of planning ahead, um, you know, it's, it's that chess match thing. It's, it's basically the sort of you know, Tony La Russa, uh, you know, mind game type uh, you know, planning that I think over the course of a season uh, you know, tends to maybe turn just a few of those games in your favor. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that we just don't really see that, um, you know, happening from Marmol. Now I'll be the first to admit he he hasn't had like great tools on his, uh, you know, roster and particularly in his bullpen to do that with. But um, you know, definitely, um, you know, again, it's mostly luck, but they're certainly not doing anything good there either. Oh no, I I totally agree, and you know, this year he. Uh, he hasn't had a lot to work with and Helsley has been on the injured list and Gallegos until recently was not that good. And so, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of options and uh, at least options that were performing in that moment. And yeah. so on the one hand, it's, it's heartening to see that, you know what I mean? Like, right. Oh yeah. Agreed. They lost a bunch of one run games like that 100% will not be repeated um, unless Marmol is an even bigger idiot than anyone thinks he is. Right. Like right. it's possible, right. but like yeah. there, there's no reason to expect them to continue to use the same players they use this year in the same way uh, next year. And so uh, that will almost certainly improve. And that alone would put them in the postseason. Uh even with their terrible starting pitching this year, which is pretty remarkable or not in the postseason, in the postseason 
competition. They would be in the wild card race this year and even the division race. Um, and so if they, if they improve the pitching, you have to feel uh, even better about this team because if he has better pitchers, right? If he has better starters going deeper into games, he doesn't have to use his relievers as much. If they bolster the bullpen, he doesn't have to use his better relievers than this year as much. And you would expect that team to be a, a competitive team. And yeah. so uh, I, I feel like on the one hand, it's like, yeah, we've lived through this and it's been pretty awful. On the other, it's like, well, it's it's highly unlikely to happen again unless, and I don't have a particularly high opinion of Aldi Marlin. Yeah. Um, but, but unless I'm even too optimistic and positive about Ali Marmol as a manager, um, and he really is terrible and so terrible that he can repeat this feat, which I don't think he is. Right. Um, then it's high, it's not going to happen again. And so I, I, that, that, uh, stat and that Reddit comment made me, uh, feel actually pretty good about or even a little bit better about this team going into next season. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I mentioned, you know, like the Braves and the Dodgers were still very good. The, the Pirates were still at the bottom of the division, for example. So you definitely see, you know, a lot of good teams were still good. A lot of bad teams were still bad. It does give you reason to think maybe the the Cardinals just had some some weird outlier luck on top of everything else. So, um, so Ben, I think we did want to kind of have one main topic we, we, we hit on today, and uh, that was uh, – Talking about uh, Adam Wainwright's 199th win, which I think we figured might be a topic in like, say, June. <laughs> but uh, here we are. <laughs> yes. Here we are in uh, mid-September. Uh, and uh, it finally happened. Uh, so we, we touched on it a little bit ahead of time. And I, I'm with you, Ben. I, I had, uh, I think I've said, uh, I was like, please, please stop, you know, um, you know, stop, stop. He's already dead. I think is kind of basically what I've uh, yes. on the yes. show before. Um, it's been painful, painful to watch. I've seen a couple starts in person. I've seen plenty of starts on TV. It's rough. It's rough. And yet, uh, each, each time he's like gotten close to that, like fifth inning with a little bit of a lead, I find myself with that twinge of hope. And then, um, of course, the other night they they had the lead and they held on to it thanks to uh, 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 Big Dick Richie Palacios, I think is his official nickname now. Um, so here we are, Ben. Um, I don't know. We, we talked about it a little bit already, but what what other thoughts do you have on uh, on Wayno being at one ninety nine? It it is really the weirdest thing to me because for you know well over a decade now. I have been railing against the pitching quote unquote win. Yeah. Um, because if, if you have, to, I have tried to explain to my wife who is a casual baseball fan in the strictest sense of casual, right? Yeah. What a pitching win is and what Wainwright is going for. And she loses interest when I try to explain to her the nuances of the rule. Okay. Yeah. And so it's this very kind of Byzantine uh, situation. Uh, and it, and I hate it because the official score is involved. and i don't I don't have anything against official scores, but i I feel like stats should not be so dependent on them as a pitching win is. And you know, we were texting with our friend Dan. Uh, earlier today, and he talked about how Wainwright's first win 
as a big leaguer, he actually vultured as a reliever in 2006 in a game that Chris Carpenter started. And that's always been my biggest thing is it's like, so wait a minute, wait a minute. If the starting pitcher goes, you know, like just say he goes six innings and gives up one run and the team doesn't score any. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, some middle reliever like Cal Eldred or Drew Verhagen comes in. Right. Yeah. And, and tosses a shutout inning, however unrealistic that might be. Okay. And oh, Ben, they don't even have to toss a shutout inning. They could come in the, and give up three runs, but then their team, but finish they, the inning, they could take they the lead in, in the yes. bottom half of that inning. Yeah. Right. Right. Even worse. Even worse. Right. Like, yes, they could give they could give up a three run home run. The team's down four to nothing. The Cardinals rally score five in the bottom half of that inning. And then the official score is going to give Drew Verhagen the win for that game. And I I just think that is so silly. It's just ridiculous. Um, And so I it my biggest problem with it is people throw it around and and you know i love my father but he is certainly someone who was raised on the idea of a 20 game winner right like in his formative years that mattered and in his formative years is a lot different time because back then you know 50 40 50 years ago um pitchers went seven eight nine innings every every starter went typically went that deep and now the average length for a start is a little bit more than five innings. And yeah. so it's even less reflective nowadays than it was. Right. And so like, I hate the stat, but now I'm just like, please let Adam Wainwright get to 200 pitching wins. And it's almost like, it's not even about me. He seems to think this is important. And Yadier Molina apparently also thinks it's important. So now I think it's important, at least for this season. Well, <laughs> like, no, well, and, and, uh, and I, and I thought I would be immune to it, but I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And I, I mean, I agree with everything you said, and obviously wins are, are a, a, not a very good stat, but, but um, the thing you got to there at the end that I think is, does is interesting in this case is is just that whole idea that yeah what a starting pitcher is has has changed so dramatically and you know one idea a lot of people have brought up is just you know people have even asked will adam wainwright be the last 200 win starting pitcher and it's it's not a um it's not a completely far-fetched idea just because the way pitchers are used now it's just it's not likely that someone would be now it's of course it's very easy to say like well who cares because the win's not a meaningful stat but it does also kind. It is kind of representative of a, a certain type of starting pitcher that goes long into a game and that and that pitches for a, you know a, a lot of years and racks up a lot of innings. And the game's not really designed for those type of, of pitchers anymore. And and you know that is what it is. That's just kind of evolution. But it's sort of significant, and that's why in some ways I do think it is a little significant, and it's significant for Wainwright because. It is kind of a a marker of the you know the end of that era, and he could essentially be the you know the last of that breed, right? Um, to you know to reach that benchmark, and um, so you know to that end, I think it does have a, a little bit of interest, and it would have you know some some significance. Um, and you know again to the point that certain some of these 
benchmarks matter and people's kind of, you know, Hall of Fame storytelling. Yeah, I don't think any pitcher after him will be measured by their win total. I think, you know, to whatever extent he may have a fringe Hall of Fame argument, I think 200 wins for him does kind of tell a little bit of the story of why he stood out in his era because he was the last guy that was this type of starting pitcher. Yeah. No, and I I think you've you've hit on the historical significance. I mean, I think the the thing that will I think detract from him is like, you know, Clayton Kershaw being just oh. a better pitcher. Oh yeah, yeah. Um you know, in the same league. Um but it but it's also uh you know, my wife was asking me who else is going to do uh, you know, who else is going to, to come close to 200 wins? And I was like, I, I don't know that anyone will. Yeah. And I was like, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, a pitcher who comes up with the Dodgers or like the Mets or the Yankees, right. Who, who is a starting pitcher and a, and a very good starting pitcher. And they're going to be on very good teams for most of their careers. You know, this pitcher will be. Yeah. And so, like, even though they're only going five, six innings, like, they're going to have a supporting cast, mm-hmm. which, again, is the absurdity of the pitching win, right? Yeah. Like, I'm telling you, someone might get to 200 pitching wins if they have enough good players around them, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but this is an individual stat. How ridiculous and stupid. Um, yeah, but, but like it, it, you, you it, could, you could squint and see it, right? Yeah. 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 It, it, it also like some of these two, it also speaks to longevity, which, you know, is, is another thing that, you know, he, he certainly stands in, in rarefied air in terms of just the number of years that he's been able to go out there and do it. Um, I would not count this season as one of those years, but, um, <laughs> for many other years of his career, he was able to yeah. get there and be an effective pitcher. So looking ahead, Ben, he's got, uh, he, it, it, it would appear he has three starts remaining and they, you know, they may like juggle somewhat, but it seems pretty likely that he will have a home start against Milwaukee, a road start against San Diego, and then a home start against the Reds. I would be shocked if they don't juggle it. So he starts the, the, the final game of the season. Um, what do you think, Ben? What are his, uh, what do you think his odds are? Uh, I, well, I said earlier on the podcast, it's a, it's a puncher's chance. So I guess, I, I mean, I don't know the, the same shot Rocky had and in Rocky versus Apollo Creed, the second fight, maybe, I I, I mean, I don't know, Ben, he won the second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No. Oh, well, that's why I'm trying to be positive here, Ben. I like it. I like it. (laughs) I like I'm going. trying to I'm trying to uh, make Adam Wainwright our our own little Italian stallion. Here. Well, one, uh, one thing that I think he has going in his favor, and I think we saw this um, in this last game. I, um, you know, when when he came out after the after the fifth, um, I thought it was notable that Marmol went to Gallegos in the sixth. Right? It was like <laughs> Wainwright came out with a lead, like. We're, we're only rolling out the good stuff now, right? We're not, 
you know what I'm saying? Like it was like we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna go to Palante and Verhagen like as uh, you know as much as we like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and so I have a feeling that if he leaves any of these games with uh, with a lead, uh, you know, Ollie's gonna be calling down to the bullpen, and and you know he's gonna be like, uh, uh, "Hey Helsley, do you feel like you can go four tonight?" Right? That's gonna be the question. Yeah, it, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be uh, 2011 in October, Tony LaRusso, right? Like, just like, we're, we're managing this like every inning is the ninth inning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Palante will be like locked in the clubhouse. They'll be like, I don't know where he is. He's just he's not here. <laughs> we can't use him. Um, yeah, well, I certainly hope, I hope he gets there. Um, you know, it'd be great to, of course, see him get there early. But man, if he, if he hasn't gotten there and he does get that final start of the season against the Reds, that would be... Uh, I mean that that would be some that would be some high drama right there, um, which could could very quickly turn into uh, low drama in the top of the first. But um, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, anything else, Ben, about uh, about Wayno before we dive into some questions? I hope and pray he does not push it that far because I don't know if my heart could take it. Like I because the 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 catastrophe potential as you just hit on is so high <laughs> i don't know if i could take watching it like oh yeah you know it's it's not like you're worried he's gonna give up like four runs and 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 leave with a four to two deficit you're worried he's gonna give up you know eight runs and leave down eight to one and there's you know there's no there's it's just a humiliation and so yeah I, and, and you, you know, know that whole season has been enough of a humiliation yeah. Yeah, you just don't want that, and you know that's his last. That's the last time he's walking off a major league mound, too. So you'd rather not see that be the case. Yeah, like, yeah. Clawing for that, clawing for that two hundredth win, and uh, um, just getting shelled. You know, <laughs> leaving with like you know one out in the first and down six runs. So, all righty. Well, um, we do have a number of questions to get to today, so I'll. Uh, dive in the first one here. The wallet inspector asks, the Cardinals have a lot of problems to fix, of course. That said, even when they were the wallet balling out in 21 and 22, they still never felt like they had a team to compete for the strap. Aside from talent, is there also some missing je ne sais quoi? The genesis of this question is what appears to be a dearth of overcompetitive psychopaths like Prime Pujols or Molina maybe Will Clark or Chris Carpenter. That's a solid list of psychopaths right there, by the way. Um, yes, yeah, very, very good. Yeah, um, they seem to have more goofy aw shucks types or those without any discernible personality whatsoever. Uh, ben, uh, what, what say you? Uh, Paul Goldschmidt definitely has no discernible personality whatsoever. <laughs> a, a very perceptive question. Um, I, you know, I, was really hoping that they would get, I mean, half jokingly, half not, that they would acquire Lance Lynn, that they would be close enough in the standings to acquire Lance Lynn, who I dubbed uh, a salty bulldog after calling John Lackey that. And I, I really think that you need the jerk, the psychopath, the whatever, to kind of keep that edge on the team. Uh, in the clubhouse and like Ollie Marmal is a lunatic, but he's a lunatic and it, it, it appears to come 
from insecurity because he's not qualified to have his job. He shouldn't have his job and he knows that. And so when an umpire says something like, how many years have you been in the league? He reacts like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas being asked to go get a shine box, right? Like he's, he's insane, but not in the way you need someone to be insane. And so there's actually a part of me that hopes they fire Marmol and hire Yadier Molina because everyone in the clubhouse would then fear the manager, right? Like, and I think that might work, but um, yeah, the, uh, the lack of psychopaths, I, I legitimately think is a problem. I mean, it's, uh, it, it makes you wonder. And I certainly, I can't point to a psychopath on this team um, of the ilk that are named here. So, so I think it's a valid question and I think it certainly could be the case. That said, I am always reluctant to kind of speculate on the sort of personality side of things, um, just because yeah. I feel like we see such a sliver of it. You know, and I also think back to examples like, you remember the like the 04 uh, Red Sox, and <laughs> believe me, if you're listening to this Cardinals podcast, I'm betting you do remember the 04 Red Sox, right? Who were, you know, this, you know, the lovable band of idiots, right? Who like won the World Series, right? And they were great. And then the next season, you had the like eating chicken in the clubhouse and drunk. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was a total disaster, right? Because the team was losing and they were like dog shit. It was the same guys. It was the same guys on the team. So, uh, I mean, like if the Cardinals had that record from where all the one run games were flipped, right? Would we suddenly feel like, you know, some of these guys that feel like they're a little vanilla right now have that edge? I mean, we might, right? Um, so I don't know. It's, it is it is hard to say, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, obviously they're not winning. And so who knows? That could also be a, a factor. I mean, I'm just saying I don't know that there's anyone on the team where Nick Castellanos flexes over a pitcher and that guy stands up and just kind of looks at him. And Nick Castellanos, like, comes to a – military salute position but puts his hands behind his back yeah yeah I <laughs> you, mean, you know what i mean like like oh no i didn't mean any disrespect like, i mean <laughs> Mol- Mol- molina's on another planet right there's not yeah, a yeah. on this team but no, yeah. no. <laughs> like there's no yeah like yeah and and you know like and it's you know i look at the the other thing that comes to mind is like the super weird uh, when Contreras got caught by Ian Happ, his former teammate, on a follow-through with the bat, and then Miles Michaelis failed to hit him with a pitch and then did. But it was like this super weird thing where they were like, what I'm getting at is it was like, it felt like like uh, Contreras didn't want him to hit Ian Happ. Ian Happ didn't do it on purpose. Miles Michaelis didn't want to hit him and couldn't the first time he tried. But it's like, if you had someone and I hate the unwritten rules and all that stuff, but I, I, it just felt like indicative of kind of the rudderlessness of this team where it was just kind of like, there's no one. And Larusa was that rudder and Pujols and Molina totally learned from him, right? Like he would make those calls and make those decisions, but that just really felt like miles. Michaelis felt like he had to do this, but it, it wasn't even, it was just yeah. kind of this haphazard thing. And well, I think that's really kind of like lacking that kind of 
like focus of like what are we doing here well and that's like, yeah that's a great point ben because honestly these names on this list pujols molina and chris carpenter i think in a lot of ways they were manifesting tony larusa's personality now will clark i think will clark was basically michael douglas from falling down right that guy is just a lunatic so that's a whole other yeah. That's a whole other uh, psychology I don't even want to get into. But um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. You know what? I hope this team is really competitive next year. And I hope we see a side of some of these guys that maybe we haven't seen this year. Yes, definitely. And, you know, and it should also be said, like, I think Nolan Arenado last year playing with the psychopaths really kind of seemed to eat it up, but then has been unable to duplicate it. So you... You know, you do kind of wonder about, you know, you got these lovable West Coast, like, you know, like Keanu Reeves kind of point break types in Newpar and Arenado, who you like and are very good. But like, you know, do they have what it takes? Because, you know, I mean, let's be honest, even Keanu didn't have what it takes. He let he let Brody go out or Bodie go out on the, you know, the killer wave and just kill himself. You know, he didn't have that killer instinct. And so uh, he's not not coming back. Yes. Right. Right. And and so like it is one of those things. I I do think that they need someone who's a little bit of that salty bulldog, John Lackey, Lance Lynn type. Like, I think that would be good. Someone who is super intense and a little bit crazy. I I think that would be a, a, a good mixture in the clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, James. Dukin on our on the Cardinals Discord asks the cast of 101 ESPN's BK and Ferrario are pretty tired of Tyler O'Neill. They propose that Brendan Donovan supplants O'Neill as the everyday left fielder to start 2024. This would result in making O'Neill the fourth outfielder or trading him for scrap. What do you guys think of giving Brendan Donovan an everyday position? And what do you think of a soft demotion for Tyler O'Neill, unless he grabs a starting spot with a vengeance? Ben, what do you think? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't listen to that particular uh, radio show. I'm not in that market. But I think this is uh, uh, just not not smart um, for a variety of reasons. First of all, number one. Um, Tyler O'Neill is, is not going to hold on to a starting spot for more than about 30 games. I think we've established that just, just for health reasons. But the bigger reason is um, you, we just have to, and, and you kind of hit on this with your, your point about Tommy Evan, like we, we just have to get around this idea of like starting guys and bench guys. Like that's like 1989 baseball thinking. That's not the way teams are built these days and that's just not the way rosters are managed. So you really don't need to find Brennan Donovan a starting role. Um, you know, last season and this season until he got hurt, Brendan Donovan did not have a starting, you know, a, 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 you know, in big quotes, starting position. Brendan Donovan got plenty of plate appearances. Brendan Donovan was in the lineup almost every day. Um, you can do that next year as well. So, and if Tyler O'Neill is healthy and Tyler O'Neill is still on your team, you know, again, depending on what other moves you make, but Tyler O'Neill is probably worth having in your lineup as well. So you, you just, this whole, I, like, oh, we got to get these guys a starting role. And then anybody who's not in a starting role, we need to like, you know, get rid of and just have absolute garbage. Not, not the way, not the way you run a baseball team anymore. And again, I, we always say this, like, look at the Dodgers, like the Dodgers, 
are just loaded with guys. They rotate them all the time. They're they're all multi-positional guys. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago too. Just um, the, the you know the trend is frankly Brendan Donovan is the trend, right? Everybody's a second baseman. Everybody's a second baseman who can play every other position and um, start all over. Um, you know, slide in laterally to substitute for a guy, etc. So you absolutely don't need to do this. That's my take on it, Ben. What about you? Uh, I I totally agree. Um, you know, the, the difference between Donovan and Edmund, who we talked about earlier, is is Donovan is the big side of a platoon. Um, you know, he he is left-handed. He hits righties very well. He also does better against lefties than Edmund does against uh, righties. And so, like, with Donovan and with a lot of players, you, you know, you don't need them to be an everyday player. They can be a 400 to 600 plate appearance guy. And Donovan, because he bats left-handed, is probably closer to 600 than he is to 400. Edmund, because he doesn't hit righties, okay, is probably closer to 400 than 600 if you want to maximize his value and give your team the best chance to win, right? So the idea that any player should be an everyday player outside of like truly elite talent. And you mentioned the Dodgers, like Freddie Freeman is an elite talent. He's exactly. going to be, yep. you know, as close, as close to an everyday player as you're going to get. Mookie Betts is another, you know, he's, yep. he's out of this world. Like he's, he is, as he's the, the quintessential everyday player. Yeah. So is Nolan you, you have Arnado. a couple of those guys, but you don't uh, need, you, you know, don't need an everyday yeah, guy yeah, at every right. position. Yeah. Right. And they don't have they don't have that at a lot of places. And so, you know, if you're looking at that outfield, and that was one of the fascinating things to me was Ollie Marmal after about a month complaining about trying to find the outfielders playing time. And I was just kind of like, like, what are you doing? Who is an everyday player in your outfield in April or May of, of this season? And the answer is, you know, maybe Lars Newtbar. Like maybe. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's it. And yeah. none of those guys should have an expectation of more than 500 plate appearances. And so to me, this team is built on depth and that type of flexibility, but there appears to be a disconnect between the front office and the manager where the manager wants to be more like Mike Schilt, where you give Tommy Edmonds 700 plate appearances, which is the most idiotic thing in the history of the world after giving Tommy Edmonds starts in right field over Randy or Rosarena. No one forgets that this organization did that. It's so stupid. Well, well I mean, but if, I, if, I don't know. If I you're think, hell bent on that. Yeah, I, I do think, I, I mean, but again, it's hard to say because I think like last season, I think honestly, Marmol did a pretty good job of utilizing these guys. And I think, Yes. Early this season, you know, you know, did an all right job. So, I, I mean, I'm optimistic that the organization maybe does have a, a bit of an understanding of, of who some of these guys are and, and could, you know, could use them. But, um, yeah, I, I think the organization understands better than some of these fans and, and I guess radio broadcasters that are still thinking, oh, we have to decide if Tyler O'Neill or Brenda Donovan are our starting left fielder. It has to be one or the other. I mean, I hope so, but it's like when your manager's openly kind of whining to the media about it, it's, it makes you wonder what the expectation that was set, you know, even before the start of the season for these guys. Yeah. And when you look in particular at the outfield group, Ben, 
you have a lot of guys who miss a lot of time because of injuries. You know, yeah. Newbart, I mean, Donovan even missed a lot of time this year. Newbar missed time. O'Neill's missed a lot of time. Dylan Carlson's missed a lot of time. Uh, all of these guys, to, in my mind, haven't really shown that they're even everyday guys. And so in the sense of like, my body can take it, I can go grind out, you know, 155 starts, right? Like, and be a, a good producer at the plate. And so it's, to me, like, if all of these guys are guys who are going to be subject to the types of bumps and bruises that land you on the injured list. And I think Nolan Gorman is quickly becoming a member of that list as well. Um, you know, like it, to me, I think you, you sit them down and you, you talk to them about this and say, we think it is in your best interest, both as a player and an earner that you go out and you, you, you're not a 700 plate appearance guy. No one is. And we're going to do this and this is going to help us win and we're going to get you days off. We're going to manage your load as the NBA does. And, uh, I will be a better team for it. And I, I, it, this, this season before the season, Ben, I would have agreed 100% after the, after last season that Marmol did a good job of managing them. But this season, when it was this weird thing with the outfield, then of course they threw Contreras under the bus, which is a whole other story, but the whining about the outfield, the trying, you know, we have to get these guys plate appearances. First, he tried to play at Macho like this was a competition, which didn't make any sense to me. Then he started whining like, oh, I can't find everyone plate appearances. And then they demoted Walker, which was also after they, they misassessed, in my opinion, his readiness for MLB, both as a fielder and a hitter. And... It, and it was really weird because to me that outfield picture really should have worked. And in particular, because of the health question marks on many of the players and how, how he was unable apparently to get buy-in from the players on that front was, was really curious to me. And I, I would be fascinated to kind of, to kind of know what those conversations were like, which we will never know. Well, and we're just speculating here, but when you're openly kind of saying to the media that you you're trying to get guys playing time, but there are too many guys, it suggests that you didn't frame it in a way that allows you that flexibility. Well, Ben, uh, maybe uh, you won't have to worry about uh, Ali Marmol anymore because uh, Jim asks, did you see the Nightingale rumor Matt Holiday wants to manage and might be Ali's replacement? I know it's Bob Nightingale and Matt quit after like an hour as a coach. But what the hell? Make it make sense, he says. And I don't know if he wants us to make it make sense like it, uh, he wants it to happen or he just uh, doesn't understand how it could even make sense. But what, what, what do you think of that rumor, Ben? Um, that feels to me like in the context of what happened before this season where Matt Holiday kept the bench coach job and those interviews, I don't know, Ben, did you watch or did you listen to any of his interviews after he accepted that job uh, at all? Because they were weird. It was it was like Jackson Holiday. He was like, yeah, Jackson's the number one draft pick. Now I can go be a coach. And then they're like, well, what about your other kids? And he was like, oh, no, they'll be fine. <laughs> like, you know, and he has another son that that's 
uh, probably going to be a major league draft pick as well. And then he ultimately was like, oh, wait, no, I want to I want to be with him as well. I, I think what this is, is Matt Holliday's folks putting this out there. And I think he wants to to jump into managing without being a bench coach is is what it sounds like to me. Uh-huh. And I would be I have to be honest, I, I would be shocked if they hired if they fired Ollie Marmol and hired Matt Holiday. Yeah. That would surprise me on multiple levels. Not the least of which, you know, like Ollie Marmol and Matt Holiday were like in a in a Bible study group together. And like they're very good friends. And that to me would be really weird. Um just on a you know, just on a interpersonal level. Um and I I think they would also after the failure of Matheny, the failure of Schilt, and the failure of Marmal. I think the idea that they're going to go hire someone with no major league managing experience to replace Ali Marmol just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Does that make sense to you? Well, I mean, it, it seems unlikely to me just because, I mean, they tried to give him another job and he just absolutely completely flaked. So I just don't see it happening because like, I don't, (laughs) I just don't believe they could realistically look at him and feel like, Oh yeah, I think he, I think he can handle this job. Right. Like, I mean, he went out for a smoke during orientation and didn't come back. So like, I just don't really see him being like, Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) like you couldn't, you couldn't handle the, uh, you know, the job as like a shift supervisor. Do you want to be CEO? Um, so I, I definitely, yeah, yeah, uh, no, I, it seems, it seems extremely unlikely, um, to me and, uh, yeah, to your point of, you know, if they were to fire Marmol, which, which again, I think is, we have to believe the reporting that it's unlikely, but if it did happen, yeah, I think your idea that, you know, maybe it's, it's someone with major league experience is probably the most likely, um, although somebody who had, um, some kind of connection to the organization, you know, could also, I think, possibly be somebody who knows, honestly, if they were to fire Marmol, I have no idea where they would go at that point. So cards fan 64 on the Cardinals discord who will the Cardinals need to protect from the rule five draft this fall and who gets cut from the current 40 man roster to protect them? Well, Ben, um, I did do a little looking on this so we could answer this question. But before we get into that, I do just want to kind of restate something I, I know we said in a past episode, and that is I think folks are a little too fixated on this based on a condition that existed for a window of time a few years ago where certain teams were using the Rule 5 draft to like try to pluck prospects out of other organizations. And so they were, um, you know, uh, taking a guy like double A guys, double A prospect, uh, you know, type guys out of other organizations because they were unprotected and and thinking, well, great. Now we, we get, to, you know, we can kind of steal these guys for free, basically. Right. Um, so like Luis Perdomo from uh, the, the San Diego took from the Cardinals, you know, kind of like probably the prime example of this. But uh, you don't see it happening anymore. And the, the reason is because those guys are not ready for the major leagues. And if you dra- if you take a guy in the major league rule five, you have to keep him on your major league roster for the entire season. So the reality is um, teams just don't really take guys in the rule five draft that they don't reasonably expect that they're going to do that with. So 
Um, so I don't think it's it's nearly the um, the 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 sort of uh, gamesmanship situation that it was a few years ago, where it was like, oh gosh, now we have to move this guy who we know is not ready for the majors onto our forty man just to protect him from being snagged. Um, so that said, just kind of I, I did whip up fan graphs here and just kind of look through. So to me, who are some of the guys who I think possibly could be guys that they, you know, they might make a move to protect? Well, uh, Sem Robersa and Adam Kloffenstein are at AAA. Those are two guys they acquired in, in these recent trades. Those guys are both Rule 5 eligible, okay? Are those guys they might move on to their 40-man to protect them? I don't know, Ben. I think they might, but, you know, they did just trade for him. But on the other hand, are they guys that the Cardinals would, you know, 100% move on to their uh, you know, 40 man for, uh, you know, and major league roster for all of next season. I don't think they are. So it's also possible that they wouldn't. Um, I think that's kind of a, you know, a possibility as well. Um, you know, there's not really anybody else that like uh, absolutely um, jumped out to me at at AAA that I thought, oh, absolutely. That's somebody that I think they would uh, protect. That's, that's, you know, not, maybe not already um, on, on the 40 man. You know, jumping down to double A, you see some some guys that are going to be rule five eligible, like Pedro Pajes, we know um, they think um, highly of um, you've got guys like, you know, Todd Lott and LA and, and LJ Jones, who are sort of like maybe kind of, I feel like sort of a little bit fading a bit prospects or whatever, right? But, you know, we're kind of names. Connor Lunn was a, you know, a pitching kind of name at a certain point in time. Um, but again, uh, those guys are, uh, they're at double A. Those guys are not ready to be on a major league roster, I don't think anybody thinks. So I just don't think they're going to really make a move um, to protect them. I know the questioner also asked, who are they going to move off the major league roster? I mean, that's like two or the 40 man roster. I mean, that's like two or three guys. I mean, uh, there's there's plenty of relief pitcher garbage on their major league roster, uh, you know, 40 man right now. So, like, you know, p pick a few guys, I think. That's, that's kind of my response on that. What do you think? Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of guys will come off. Um, and I think one of those guys might be Dakota Hudson, who I think is a prime candidate to be non-tendered, um, despite their posturing about him heading into the current season. I just don't think he's done anything to indicate they want to pay him $3 million to do the same thing next year. Um, so like, I think he's, he's a prime candidate to be non-tendered and, and clear a roster spot. Yeah, um, you know who else I honestly wonder if um, could be a, 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 a non-tender candidate is uh, Dylan Carlson. Is he not going to be ARB eligible next year? Do I have that right? Or is he still under team? Uh, I think so. I, I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I next year's next year's next year. he's he's ARB one next year. I, I'll be honest, he's bored. He's really borderline for me. I'm I'm kind of. I, I mean, I think I think he's. I don't think he's very good um and and he's 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 injured and not very good now so i mean uh, you know uh do, do they really want to start paying um arbitration prices to you know for 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 dylan carlson probably they do i think they probably hold on to him for you know a, a, another year but um i don't know i think he's i think he's played himself into a, a potential non-tender candidate um, I don't know if it's likely, but I don't think it's out of the question. 
I, I don't, I don't think he's a non-tender candidate this year. Um, I also, I don't think Tyler O'Neill is, but I think Tyler O'Neill would be a bigger non-tender candidate than Dylan Carlson. I mean, he's got apparently some sort of disc issue in his back that's radiating down into his uh, limbs and missed a lot of time because of it and hasn't been healthy for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, yeah, but he's been good. Dylan Carlson has never, there's a lot of upside there. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Carlson has never been Uh, good. I mean, yeah, there's more. Well, right. But Tyler O'Neill hasn't, been good since he had back issues well right you know well, what I mean? Ty- 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 Tyler O'Neill is good for like two weeks at a time and then he's injured again so yeah no I, I agree I think if he's if <laughs> yeah. they think his chronic injuries are such that it's it, yeah no I, I mean I think that's fair too I think that's that wouldn't be, I mean again probably unlikely but not a completely um uh you know impossible scenario that they would not tender him as well Um, yeah, I, I would, I would be, uh, to, to summarize, like with Kloffenstein, I would be really surprised if Dakota Hudson is on the 40 man, you know, in January and Kloffenstein is not, Yeah, you know, like that I agree. would I agree. surprise me. I agree. I agree. All right. Bronson on the Cardinals discord asks in light of Paul Goldschmidt's recent human birthday, one, do you foresee an extension on the horizon from the club? And two, if you were running the club, would you, the Bens, extend Goldie? And, and Ben, you actually made a really good point about this, I think, on our last show. But um, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. What do you think? Uh, and, and that point was, uh, will they structure a free agent pitching contract around the expiration of Paul Goldschmidt's contract and devote that money to free agent pitching and then just move someone like Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman to first base at, you know, like one thirtieth of the cost. Um, I do not. So there's a part of me that's like Bill DeWitt wants Paul Goldschmidt to be a Hall of Famer. He just won the MVP with a few more milestones hit, especially as a Cardinal. He's almost certainly a high, uh, a Hall of Famer almost certainly is probably overstating it. He's a likely all hall of famer. He's and if he does it as a cardinal, he's probably a hall of famer with a cardinal's cap on. So the historic pattern under Bill DeWitt would be to extend him. I think the Cardinals purposely have not done that after he won the MVP. Um but I with where they are in terms of their roster construction and what they need from outside the organization in terms of pitching, it just does it would it does not make a lot of sense to me to devote twenty million plus a year for two or three more years, yeah. uh, including next next year, uh, to Paul Goldschmidt, and so, so I I would not do it. Um, yeah, well, um, and you know, it's interesting, um, but that's more of a, like, so I think. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, no, I think it's a really interesting point, Ben. And, um, I think it might almost speak to potentially, uh, 
the degree to which maybe they are looking to remake the team just for the reasons that you said, um, you know, not uh, not extending him, um, you know, and, and if they are, uh, if, if it is because they want to potentially reinvest that money, that does kind of suggest, hey, we're maybe closing the door a little bit on this sort of Goldschmidt era of the team and this current manifestation that's not working. We're going to reinvest that. I like that about it. Also, I think, you know, they've some of these very late career extensions that they've done recently, I'm looking at you, Matt Carpenter, have not gone well. And so um, I think, uh, you know, no reason to do it before he's, you know, at the end of that of this current contract. So I think even if they think they might do it, um, you know, waiting until next season would be perfectly reasonable um, anyway. All right. Uh, Paige uh, asks, what would your walk-up song be? Ben, what would your walk-up song be? And I should also give a shout out because this is my wife's question. <laughs> she submitted it to Dan via text message. So um, uh, what would your walk-up song be, Mr. Godar? Well, this is, a, I mean, how much time do we have, Ben? Um, is the real question here. Um, <laughs> I think another important question here is, is this is this my walk up song in a universe where I am like a, you know, really like skilled Major League Baseball question? Or is this my walk up song where I'm a like schlubby middle aged guy walking up there to humiliate myself? So, you know, that that also might, uh, ref, you know, uh, impact what would be the appropriate piece of music to to presage that. But um, we'll assume that I'm a I'm a I'm a professional baseballer. I think here, um, uh, you know, I'll start by saying I think like right a great piece of walk up music. It's it's really it's it's just a little snippet, right? It's all about a riff. It's just you know it's something to get the crowd going. I will say I think that Nolan Gorman's choice of Ride with Me this season has been just absolutely inspired. Yeah, uh, classic tune. Everybody loves it. St. Louis Tide. It's got a nice like crowd participation component too. I mean, honestly, 10 out of 10, no notes on that. I think that's one of the best uh, choices of recent times. So I don't know, Ben, I, I just like racking my brain. I'm like, I don't know, great riff, uh, something I wouldn't get tired of, something from maybe my my era. I'm gonna go with uh, the uh, the little uh, bass intro to uh, Cannonball by the Breeders. That's gonna be my walk-up music. Oh, yeah, that's real good. That's timeless. Um, the They're uh, a wonderful band. That That's, that's very good. Right, um, thank you. Yeah. What, what about you? I'm, I'm a little bit... Um, you know, I I was I have been going. She asked me this question, and I just totally punted on it. And I actually told her that, oh, hey, you should ask the podcast. And it was a total attempt by me to avoid answering the question. <laughs> and now, not only do I have to answer it, I have to I have to answer it uh, for an audience. Um, she showed you. You know, I yes, yes. She she called my bluff. Uh, and I now have to answer the question. Um, Cannonball by the Breeders is is an excellent choice. Um, I think I would do. I would probably do something more like hip hop. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I I was thinking 
you know, like I think there's quite a few tracks off of the Black Album by Jay-Z that have a really good like 10 second, you know what I mean? Like sample that you could you could go with um, and like Dirt Off Your Shoulder immediately comes to mind for me. Like, I think that's just a real nice walk up song. Um, I also have to say, though, like Nolan Arenado's MGMT walk-up music is really good and i I feel like i would also want to go and like like listen to like some uh like kind of that lcd sound system like early 2010s mid 2010s era Mm -hmm. of like you know and kind of maybe get something that's a little bit airier from there uh that you know just kind of makes you tap your feet and and play something you know like like you know like dance yourself clean that song i don't think really works as walk-up music but but that album um has some good stuff on it and i I might try something like that and i wouldn't even be saying this if i hadn't been like oh my gosh is nolan arenado walking up to to mgmt which surprised me because he's a he's a renowned uh red hot chili peppers fan so i was kind of like wow um yeah. So okay. I I think that I I think I'd probably go with something from like the Black Album by Jay Z because I'm I'm an old white guy and yeah. no it's a good it's a uh, solid choice too and I enjoy that music. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like. Yeah. It. So th- I I I think that's what I I would go with. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, and I... so uh, moving. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Raymond. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sendejas. Oh, this is yours. I'm I'm doing two in a row. I'm sorry. No, oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. no, that's that's all right. That's all right. Uh, but uh, no, Raymond asks, uh, who is the Ben's favorite post dispatch writer? Sports writer, I guess he says specifically. Um, I'm I'm I'll go first. I'm gonna say Derek Gould, and the reason being, uh, Derek Gould in an email exchange that I had with him 18 years ago, I think now, Mm -hmm. uh, a little more than 18 years ago, uh, he recommended that I check out Viva Albertos, um, you know, because I asked him quite a few questions. And uh, I think he was, frankly, trying to give me another outlet for my questions. And, um, And I checked it out. And, you know, five, six years later, I was writing for it. And nine years later, I guess, I was the site manager. And so I was, I, Derek Gould recommended Viva Albertos to me uh, in an email. And I will always be grateful for that because it was a wonderful community uh, that I greatly enjoyed participating in. And then I got to write for the blog and ultimately run it. And, uh, and I will always appreciate that. Uh, throughout my life. So Derek Gould uh, is my favorite STL Today writer for that reason. What about you, Mr. Godar? Well, that's, that's a great story, Ben. I've actually never heard that story before. Um, uh, well, I have two, and I will say one of them is is Derek Gould. Um, I uh, was a, a B reporter myself uh, many, many years ago, um, more on the kind of hard news side. I didn't do sports, but I did a few years doing that. And so for that reason, 
I, I feel like I really appreciate what Derek Gould does because it's it's hard, hard work being the beat reporter and you're there every single day and you got to you got to get the story. You got to ask the questions. And I think he does a really good job of it. And I think that something that, um, you know, uh, I, I think something that people don't always give him credit for is that so much of what we know about the team, he is our primary source for. He, you know, he is the one that has asked the question. He's the one that has gotten us that information. And so, so um, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate just the kind of uh, the beat reporting that he does. Absolutely. Um, you know, I actually, I also, uh, you know, Ben Hotchman, uh, I really enjoy some of his like kind of very like fanciful pieces that he does. Um, he's just, he's done a few that I've just, just really, really enjoyed. Um, and so, um, uh, I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't think I always read him, but I, I will say that he is. He has written some of my just kind of uh, you know favorite uh, pieces in his his time there as well. So those are the two that I would say. All right, uh, uh, Babby well, Trevi. You're right. Now it is your turn. Now I'm I'm throwing our order. Now yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did what I did. We're really uh, doing a great job of of alternating. I don't know what our deal is tonight, Ben. Um, but Babby Trevi uh, asks, let's hear the best St. Louis Cardinals hat wears Jordan Walker number one. So who's who's your nominee for best hat wear on the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, I, do, I mean, Jordan Walker is pretty good. Nom- that's I mean, I, I think that might be number one right there. Of course, you know, he, de- he definitely he definitely wears the hell out of a hat. I mean, can I go all the way back to Steve Klein, Ben? Am I allowed to do that? Yes, if, sure, sure. If I'm, if I'm just thinking about like truly iconic um, hat wearers, uh, you know, Steve Klein, of course, had the the just absolutely filthy, filthy hat. Like it was not even the same color as anyone else's hat. It looked like it had been just dragged through like the mud and like, you know, just all manner of like tobacco spit for the entire season. Um, and it was like kind of like, you know, crumpled up in a way, you know, like, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, like a mechanic or something would be wearing, but not like a guy on the field would be wearing. Go, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say uh, it's it's like a coal miner, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, he wore his hat that way in honor of his family members who had worked mining coal. Oh, interesting. And had he actually worn it down into a coal mine or he just spit tobacco chew on it until it looked like he'd been in a coal mine? <laughs> that that is an excellent question. And the the other thing that I always wondered Ben is they would embroider that thing with a new like postseason patch. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be like filthy and then it would have this new like you know 2000 and uh five postseason patch on there uh yeah it, um just disgusting and wonderful yeah yeah so i don't know steve i mean you know stands out to me of course that's a pretty memorable memorable hat and hat wear um i don't know, ben anybody jump out to you uh you know i i was going to say that it's it's not a hat it's a helmet and that brendan donovan is my favorite helmet wearer because it always falls off yes uh when he's running the bases and i just 
I don't know why that is or how it always happens, but I greatly enjoy it. Um, the other person that I would throw out there is Adam Wainwright because we are roughly the same age and my preferred hat look is similar to Adam Wainwright, yeah. you know, as opposed to some of the, the younger kids nowadays and the way they wear their hats, you know, get off my lawn. Um, but I, I would give honorable mention to Adam Wainwright, but I, I think in terms of hat wear, I mean, Jordan Walker's the right answer. Like yeah. there's no, on this year's team, I just, he's the best hat wearer. And I, I don't think there's really even a close second. So I, I, I agree uh, with the premise of the question that, that he is the best. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And Ben, I would also agree with, uh, you know, what you said, Brendan Donovan did, did come to mind as well. By the way, Brendan Donovan knows what he's doing. He's got that, that too small helmet on there just so it'll fly off and he can, he can let that, that flow fly, I think, um, for sure. Um, all right. Our, our last question, um, uh, comes, uh, from, uh, also from the discord, uh, and it is, uh, I guess this is also from Yamas Duncan. I think you got two in today, but, uh, the, says, if you have time, here's another one. Although I'm not expecting you to be climatologists. Have you guys read about STL becoming a heat island with a heat belt due to climate change? If so, what are the odds Bush Stadium 4 is a dome? Insert crying emoji. And here's the thing, listeners. Ben and I are not climatologists. However, uh, Dan, who does our social media, is a, uh, a STEM librarian who actually is incredibly well-versed in, in this. And he has put some, some rather uh, detailed notes in here for us. Um, do you want to read these, Ben, or would you like me to just go ahead and, and read through these? Uh, you, you can have at it. All right. So, so, so some of the notes that, that, that Dan has put in here for us. Uh, so hotter days, hotter nights, more extreme weather, more rain. Uh, the air can hold 7% more moisture per degree of warming. So Bush will become increasingly uncomfortable to play and watch games in. The heat island effect or HIE, and those of us that talk about it all the time, we call it the HIE, right, Ben? I mean, you can't say heat island. Effect. Yes, yes. When we go out for beers, yeah, we, we call it HIE. You, Absolutely. It, it's too long to say heat island effect. A hundred percent. So the HIE happens when dense urban areas with concentrations of parking lots, roads, buildings, skyscrapers, uh, etc., cetera, uh, outnumber bodies of water, forests, parks, etc. The artificial structures spend all day absorbing sunlight and re-emitting it after the sun goes down. This can lead to those urban areas having two to seven degrees higher temps in the day and two to five degree higher temps at night. Based on a study published by the First Street Foundation in 2022, St. Louis is in the top five of urban areas that will be most affected by extreme heat. Within the next three decades, St. Louis will go from having seven days over 108 degrees to 21 degrees over 108 degrees. And I know, folks, we were all thinking, St. Louis just isn't hot enough, right? I think that's something we were all thinking about. <laughs> dew points, on average, Dan and I are big fans of dew points. Dew points, on average, yes. also risen at night in the city over the past few years, and nighttime temps are the highest on record. In 2021, a science nonprofit called Climate Central ranked St. Louis 22nd out of 158 
for urban heat island intensity. It's also one of the top 10 cities for impermeable surfaces, with 57% of the city being hard, dry surfaces like buildings, roads, and parking lots that contribute to higher temperatures. So all kinds of data there backing up this, uh, this heat island, or again, HIE, uh, situation. So back to the original question, what are the odds that Bush Stadium 4 is a dome? Um, you know, I think if humans can even inhabit the earth by the time that they build Bush Stadium 4, I think it's pretty likely that it's a dome. What do you think, Ben? Uh, I have, uh, during our conversations that include the HIE, um, we have also touched on wildfires and smoke pollution. Um, and this summer in particular, there's been a problem with Canadian wildfire smoke, but we've also gotten it from the uh, western part of the United States in years past. And there's really not much reason to believe that it's not going to continue to be a problem. And so I think you have to also factor in air quality. And so, I mean, I've kind of been of the, the opinion that a lot of these rendering, you know, Kansas City just put out their drawings of a new uh, downtown ballpark and I was shocked that it did not have a dome because I'm kind of of the opinion and I say this with a heavy heart because I don't like watching games in domes but I'm kind of the opinion moving forward I don't understand how uh, clubs will be unable to have a ballpark with a roof just given the various effects of uh, global warming uh, and climate change across the country. I, I just, it seems like that's going to be the next ask so that they can get their games in and the players will be able to play them in a healthy environment and the fans will be able to watch them in a healthy environment. Yeah. And I think St. Louis would be at the forefront of this list. But Ben, here's my question to you. With the way Ballpark Village, which is a, which is a DeWitt investment, you know, they're becoming a little bit commercial real estate moguls down in downtown St. Louis. Where would you even put Bush Stadium for? Like, do you do you just like add a roof to it to current Bush? Or is there somewhere else down there where you try to put, you know, that ballpark? I That's the thing that is also very interesting to me is how do you – if you need a domed ballpark mm -hmm. in downtown St. Louis, where does it go? Um, well, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an urban planner, Ben. Just like I'm not a climatologist, so I couldn't say for sure. I mean, they do own the parking garages as well, and there's definitely some, you know, I mean, some of those parking garages look the same as they did when I was parking in them in 1987. So um, <laughs> some of those blocks, I think, could potentially go down and. You know, I, I think, you know, they, I'm sure they could get creative and, and fit something in there. I will say this in terms of the, we've been using the term dome. I do think the modern roofed ballparks, they really do a pretty good job of having the retractable roof and it, it can really give yeah. you a feel. I mean, like Milwaukee, for example, you know, when the roof is open in Milwaukee, you just feel like you're at an outdoor ballpark. 
you, you kind of forget that, oh yeah, it is also possible for them to close a roof and this to be indoors. And that's true of pretty much all of the other modern parks that have done that. So, um, yeah, you know, were they to build something like that in St. Louis, it would be like that, right? It's not gonna be like Tampa or the Metrodome. And yeah. They don't build those kind of things anymore. So, you know, um, if that's what happens and if it means that you don't have rainouts and you don't have to cancel games because of the Canadian wildfire smoke or the, a heat dome or things like that. I mean, it's probably not the worst choice to, you know, to, to put that retractable roof on there. So, um, well, we have reached the end of the questions as always grateful for all the questions folks have sent in. Ben, um, we got just a couple weeks left. I think we have one more off day in the regular season. Uh, what are you gonna be watching for? Uh, I'm going to be watching to see how many back to back days Ryan Helsley gets the rest of the season because it uh it seems like they're being a, a little surprisingly aggressive with him and so I'm interested to see how much more of that they do and how he responds uh to it um because you know, he's had some weird issues with his forearm, and I think he's an important part of the 2024 team if he's healthy. Uh, so I'm going to be paying attention to his usage and what the reporting is on how he responds to that usage. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's, that's a good one. I think that is one of the few things that we could see this season that could be telling and interesting for next season. Um, I, I'm going to be boring then. I'm just going to be kind of counting the days until the next Adam Wainwright start. And then I'm going to, you know, you know, watch and, and, and hope he gets 200 and then be, um, you know, sad when he doesn't <laughs> for at least probably a couple of those, but hopefully we'll see that, <laughs> we'll see that happen. Um, Ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? I do on foxsports.com. Jake Mintz, uh, wrote, a post why the Atlanta Braves best players play every day. And I read this earlier today and I thought it was an interesting kind of companion piece to you and me talking about the need to reduce the amount of time that players play because the Braves have taken the opposite approach. And, you know, Atlanta is not a cool place uh, by any means. And so I'm interested to see how the grind of playing as much as the brave star players are playing uh, in with their home games in Atlanta, where it's pretty warm, uh, how that works and, and whether or not it might be a factor in October when they're trying to win the world series. And so uh, I would encourage folks to read on foxsports.com why the Atlanta Braves best players play every day by Jake Mintz. What about you? Do you have any recommendations? I do. And, uh, you know, as this season has just continued to go further and further down the toilet, I feel like I've been recommending more self-care related things here. I think our last show, I, I recommended journaling, if I remember correctly. Um, ben, today I'm going to recommend folks uh, take a knife skills class. Um, if you're <laughs> 
if you're new to cooking or you just want to get better at cooking, I think the best thing you can do, get yourself one very, uh, good quality chef's knife and then just take one like knife skills class. Most cooking uh, sh stores, you know, might offer like just, you know, a weekend class, just a couple hours, really just a good knife and even just a, a couple hour class, you know, um, you know, learn, learn some better knife techniques going to do wonders for you in the kitchen, going to do way more than, you know, going to some like, what do they call it? Pampered chef, right? I think. And, you know, buying all the like, like chopper gadgets and the yeah, scene on TV stuff. You don't need any of that. Just get a good knife, learn how to use it at a knife skills class. That's my, uh, that's my recommendation. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end. Ben, are you still there with me? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. I thought I might have lost you there for a second. I thought maybe you were. Are we just signing up for a knife skills class? Oh no, I we did have a little bit of uh, some choppiness uh, through the recording, but I I can now hear you, and I am back. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's wrap it up before we have any more choppiness. Uh, I don't have anything else. You got anything else for folks before we uh, we call it? No, I, I don't have anything else. Uh, I would uh, encourage folks to just kind of enjoy a game or two here down the stretch because we're going to have uh, a long winter that's going to start a little bit earlier this year uh, than it has in the last couple of seasons for the Cardinals. I agree with that. Uh, thanks, as always, to Dan for the social media as well as today for the science knowledge. Thanks to Devon for uh, the music, and we will be back with you on the next Cardinals Off Day.